God's War Part 2 continued. The next question that John Q. Public asks, why has the divorce rate risen from 3% at the time of Abraham Lincoln in the 1860s to over 50% in 1985? And presently, it is hard to know the divorce rate with many, many couples living together in defiance to God's fornication law. Thus, with the divorce rate so high, why would any couple want to have children? For children want their real mommy and daddy to work things out. But the real mommy and daddy can't work things out if one of them sees themselves as sweet and wonderful. For the norm of iron sharpening iron becomes a one-way street. When the sweet and wonderful spouse is sharpened, the only thing that is sharpened is the writing utensil to fill out the divorce papers. This is devastating to not only the children, but to the nation for a moral family that is forgiving and a principled family is the primary building block to the stability of a virtuous nation. We could go on and on, but let us dig a little deeper into the cause of the divorce rate. Let us review. We can see ourselves as sour or sweet and sour or sweet and wonderful. As mentioned earlier, because our fast food free will theologians have put original sin on the back burner, most of John Q. public does not know that the fountain of all evil in this world flows right out of their own heart. Therefore, John Q. public has not heard that we control this fountain of evil by repenting over it before it becomes an act of sin. Those of us natural men Americans who see ourselves as sour are the ones repenting over our sin nature before it becomes an act of sin. Those of us Americans who see ourselves as sweet and sour are repenting over not our original sin, but only our acts of sin after the damage has already occurred. Those of us natural mid-Americans that see ourselves as sweet and wonderful are not repenting over any of our sins. For what is there to repent over? We are sweet and wonderful. Therefore, it has to be the other guy's fault or in a marriage, our spouse's fault. The person that sees himself as sweet and wonderful can, without shame, poke his or her spouse in the eye continually. But the moment the other spouse pokes the sweet and wonderful spouse in the eye, hatred sets in, and it won't be long before the divorce papers are filed. Those that see themselves as sweet and wonderful are 100% victims and are ripe for tyranny. So what is the point? Our fast food free will theologians have had over 100 years of dominance preaching sweet and sour. And many of us John Q. public that are lagging behind the church now see ourselves as sweet and wonderful. And we, like Adam and Eve after the fall, are into the blame game. And we will be the ones 
that are filing the divorce papers. Not only will we not be able to survive a marriage, but we will be the ones bringing up our children to be victims. And thus, victims should not be punished, should not be flunked, must be given participation trophies. And when our children get older, they will be the ones that will not want to prosecute criminals. They will be the ones that want to defund the police. And they will be the ones that want to eliminate free speech. Or like in a marriage, they cannot handle any sort of criticism. Bottom line is that we as Americans need to pray that God will raise up another bondage of the will preacher like Martin Luther or George Whitfield to make again the bondage of the will dominant and therefore preach sour so that John Q. Public will, by the trickle-down effect, be halfway sane at sweet and sour. That is, at least somewhat moral making those of us John Q. Public of America that see themselves as sweet and wonderful to be a thing of the past. And now let us conclude with Martin Luther's powerful portrayal of what it should mean for us to see ourselves as a sinner. If we as Americans could again see ourselves this way, we again would be the beacon of light to the world. Martin Luther wrote the famous book entitled Bondage of the Will, which you can order on Amazon.com, in which he proclaims that free will is a fiction. And we will look at that quote along with George Whitfield's quote, Is it God's free grace or man's free will? Let us conclude with two powerful quotes from George Whitfield, two powerful quotes from Martin Luther, and one from John Winthrop. First, George Whitfield. Quote, As God can send a nation or people no greater blessing than to give them faithful, sincere, and upright ministers. So the greatest curse that God can possibly send upon a people in this world is to give them over to blind, unregenerate, carnal, lukewarm, and unskilled guides. And yet, in all ages, we find that there have been many wolves in sheep's clothing, many that daubed with untempered mortar that prophesied smoother things than God did allow. As it was formerly, so it is now. There are many that corrupt the word of God and deal deceitfully with it. It was so in a special manner in the prophet Jeremiah's time. And he, faithful to his Lord, faithful to that God who employed him, did not fail 
from time to time to open his mouth against them and to bear a noble testimony to the honor of that God in whose name he from time to time spake. If you will read this prophecy, you will find that none spake more against such ministers than Jeremiah. And here, especially in the chapter out of which the text is taken, he speaks very severely against them. He charges them with crimes, several crimes, particularly he charges them with covetousness. Says he in the 13th verse, from the least of them, even to the greatest of them, everyone is given to covetousness. And from the prophet, even unto the priest, everyone dealeth false. And then in the words of the text, in a more special manner, he exemplifies how they had dealt falsely, how they had behaved treacherously to poor souls. Says he, they have healed also the hurt of the daughter of my people slightly, saying, peace, peace, when there is no peace. Now, isn't that the type of evangelist that we need in America today? Now, a second quote by George Whitfield in which he rebukes his friend, John Wesley, the founder of the Methodist churches, for going off the doctrinal tracks and preaching man's free will as opposed to God's free grace. Dear sir, speaking to John Wesley, this is George Whitfield speaking to John Wesley, his friend, for Jesus Christ's sake, consider how you dishonor God by denying election. That is, Jesus chooses us, we don't choose him. You, John Wesley, plainly make salvation depend not on God's free grace, but on man's free will. And if thus, it is more than probable, Jesus Christ would not have had the satisfaction of seeing the fruit of his death in the eternal salvation of one soul. That is, for we are so depraved, we will never choose the true Jesus, but a fake Jesus. And therefore, not one soul would go to heaven, because it is Jesus who must find those who were given to him by his Father before the foundation of the world, and lose none. We do not find him. He finds us. That is his mission here on earth. And now a quote by Martin Luther. Martin Luther was the king of the religious reformation whose doctrine of salvation, saved by faith, not works, swept through Europe in the 1500s, resulting in eventually the pilgrims coming to America in 1620. And the pilgrims embraced the bondage of the will doctrine. What does the king of the Reformation, Martin Luther, have to say about the will being bound or free in salvation? Erasmus, a literary giant in Germany in the 1500s, wrote the book Freedom of the Will, and Martin Luther responded with his book, 
bondage of the will. Martin Luther slices up and dices up Erasmus's doctrine of free will and salvation, and he rebukes Erasmus, writing that free will or free choice is a fiction in salvation. Martin Luther writes, quote, that is plain evidence that free choice is a fiction. Or like the woman in the gospel, Mark 5.25, the more free will is treated by the doctors, the worse it gets. For if we believe it to be true that God foreknows and foreordains all things that he, God, can be neither deceived nor hindered in his foreknowledge and predestination, and that nothing can take place but according to his will, which reason herself is complete to confess. Then, even according to the testimony of reason herself, there can be no free will in man, no free will in angel, or no free will in any creature. Now, the next quote by Martin Luther should be read over and over again, because Martin Luther gives us a wonderful portrayal of what it means to be a sinner. And this is exactly what America needs in order to reduce the divorce rate back to less than 5%, like it was in the 1800s, and probably all, all the way from 1620 up to 1867. Martin Luther writes, quote, and thus we are all ready to say, I am a most wretched sinner, but seldom, if ever, does a man want to be a sinner. For what is it to be a sinner if not to be worthy of all punishment and trouble? To be a sinner is to be a lawbreaker worthy of punishment, commensurate with the crime. The punishment for breaking one commandment is an eternity of hell. Galatians 3.10, for it is written by Moses, curse to hell is everyone that continueth not in all things which are written in the book of the law to do them. And now back to Martin Luther. And to confess with your mouth that you are such a person, but to be unwilling to act like a sinner. This is a hypocrisy. This is lying. For it befits a righteous man to have peace, glory, honor, and all good things. Therefore, if you deny that you are righteous, you must also deny these good things. And if you confess that you are a sinner, you must take punishments, injuries, ignominy, that is public shame, as your own, your rightful possessions. 
but you must flee those things as belonging to someone else, which belong only to the righteous man. Therefore, if shame or an insulting word, if beating or an injury, if condemnation or a disease befall you, and you say, I do not deserve it. Why must I endure it? An injury has been done me. I am innocent. Are you not thereby denying that you are a sinner and you not resisting God and with your mouth convicting yourself as a liar? For with all these things, God is proving that you are a sinner because he brings to you the things that befit a sinner. And he cannot err or lie, but you rise up and contradict him, resisting and opposing him as if God were one acting wickedly foolishly and dishonestly. And in this you are like those of whom we spoke above. For those are factions and do not obey the truth, but obey wickedness. Romans 2.8 For you also do not obey the truth, that is, the works of God, which have rightly come against you. But if you say, when these things happen, indeed, I surely deserve these things. I have been justly treated. I freely admit that I am a sinner so that all these things are just and true. I have certainly sinned against thee so that thy actions and thy words are justified and thou are the truthful and righteous God that are not mistaken concerning me. There is no lying in thee, for just as in all these things thou dost show that I am a sinner. Behold, this is simple saying against thee, and thee only have I sinned and done this evil which is in thy sight, so that thou art justified in thy words. I am a most wretched sinner. That's Martin Luther, page 216, on his commentary to Romans. Now our last quote by John Winthrop, who was the leader of the Puritans, who came to America in 1630. In 1630, while still aboard a ship bound for Massachusetts Bay, Winthrop, the Puritan leader, delivered his sermon, quote, a model of Christian charity. He said, for we must consider that we shall be as a city upon a hill. The eyes of all people are upon us, so that if we deal falsely with our God in this work we have undertaken, and so cause him to withdraw his present help from us. We shall be made a story and a byword through the world. 
Of course, the origin of the phrase is found in Matthew chapter 5, verses 14 through 16. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Therefore, this is the ultimate aim of American exceptionalism. This warning is the same to us today as Americans as it was with John Winthrop and the Puritans. If we shall deal falsely with our God in this work we have undertaken as Americans in 2021 and so cause him to withdraw his present help from us, we shall be made a story and a byword. So let us conclude this message by remembering today, quote, if we shall deal falsely with our God, in this work we have undertaken as Americans, and so cause him to withdraw his present help from us, we shall be made a story and a byword through the world. To be continued, may the Lord bless thee and keep thee in the name of Jesus. Amen.